rocking. I'm doing it. Okay. Let's welcome to the uh, Set Free Speech Podcast, the show where faith, recovery, and personal growth intersect. I'm your host, Eli Rivera, and I'm thrilled to be joined by my co-host, Anthony Hinojosa. That's me. Um, and, you know, I'm also thrilled to have you guys join us on this journey of transformation and spiritual discovery. So, Anthony, how are you? I'm doing pretty dang good. Um, I'm getting over a sickness. Okay. A little cold. Seems to be a cold rolling around right now. My assumption is that the weather's been a little funny down here in Southern California. We had, like, a couple days of, like, rain and just straight up... <laughs> straight up cloudy days and stuff like that which we're not very familiar with in general especially in summertime technically still summertime so i feel like the combination has been making a lot of people sick right now and you were talking about that there's like covid cases going on right now too yeah, yeah. yeah the treatment facility that i was at there's a covid covid outbreak as they say mm-hmm. so i had to wear a mask and i did not like that <laughs> i mean i just went for the alumni thing but they didn't even let me say hi to all my friends. Oh man! So, so <laughs> but yeah. it's all right. So yeah, I'm kicking a kicking a sickness. I'm at the end of it, at, at the end of this cold. And uh, but other than that, everything else has been good. I've been um, moving forward at work, moving forward and um, teaching and preaching and trying to get the word of God out there to and reaching all the individuals that uh, are interested in it. But um, but yeah, it's been fun. It's been good. How about you? How's things been going on with you? Uh, my weeks are wonderful. This week was very productive. I've been able to, you know, get a lot of things done mm-hmm. in terms of my career. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also, you know, jujitsu. Yeah, jujitsu is a very important part of my life. Today I had an injury and in, on the mats, but that's okay. That's part of it, isn't it? That's part of it. Yeah, mm-hmm. and you know, what's crazy is now that I'm. I feel like I'm a different human being in terms of all the work I put into kind of better my mentality, my spirituality and everything. So when I was laying there, cause I, the guy put me in a footlock and mm. then he, when he bridged, he actually popped my ankle Oof. and like, it was like the metatarsals, but it's a straight footlock. So like it popped really bad Yeah. that like they stopped, everyone stopped Yeah. and like they came rushing and I, as I was laying there in the past, I would have been like, fuck man, yeah, I'm, mad about it. I'm done, man, this is over. And as I was laying there, I was like, I, this is the game I chose to play. Yeah. We're going to get through it. Like right. That. It's not a big deal. And, uh, but let me tell you something about that's very important lesson that I learned today and, and something I learned about myself and seriously, yeah. like, in the past, I would have got a resentment immediately towards the guy, mm, right? But yeah. here's the thing. Here's the thing. Last week, when I trained with that individual, mm-hmm. um, we went hard, yeah. and we were both angry. You could feel the difference between rolling with someone mm-hmm. with no ego yeah. and rolling with someone when your ego is involved. Mm-hmm. It's very, very like noticeable. Yeah, yeah. Long story short, um, we went at it. He, uh, n- nothing happened there, but we were angry. And then when I saw him today on the mats, yeah, he called me out. And I was like, oh, fuck, man. Like, I'm not afraid of you, right? Like Gordon Ryan says, like, fear nobody. I mean, respect everyone, fear nobody. Yeah. But I know that I don't like you. Sure. Like, I already came sure. into that role with him like that. So yeah. um, I tried to go for a footlock, um, and I, I went pretty aggressively. And then yeah. he I, I lackadaisically left my foot hanging out, and mm. he went for it. But right when he bridged, he bridged with, like, everything. You could yeah. feel the anger yeah. because of the pain I had put him through in the yeah. mouth, like five seconds ago mm-hmm. and immediately it popped. But what's crazy is after practice, 
he told me, hey man, you know, I, I was rolling angry, you know, I shouldn't have been rolling angry. And mm. I was like, yeah, and you know what, me, me too, bro. Like, I was angry with you from last week and I apologize for that. Yeah. So even me getting hurt, I apologize to him. Right. Right, because I needed it for me, mm-hmm. right? And, and it also, it was a very, very teaching lesson. Like, I'm not gonna do that anymore. Yeah. Uh, so it was a very, like, as a man, I feel proud of what happened yeah. today. And that's the beauty of that sport. That sport will drop it'll throw your ego in the trash in yeah. one second yeah and it'll teach you like respect respecting everyone so yeah. great day actually but now i'm still here i fucking tape this shit up and yeah. I'm, I'm rolling baby <laughs> tape is jujitsu's like number one uh, uh uh what do you call it pain reliever yeah i love that yeah that's so. really cool i like the idea that um we get ourselves in situations where um in once in one part of our life or not uh it would turn into something that would be worse than it should be. Right. But now it's just like all these moments are like lessons, opportunities for us to be able to say, look at that something and say, that was actually experience rather mm-hmm. than like some sort of like setback or some sort of moment for me to just hate the world or hate people around me yes. or be upset with myself. It's none of those things. It's very much like a, this is an experience. This is an opportunity for me to grow looking forward. So yeah. by that point, it's not about looking backwards. Like your mindset is like, I'm, I'm more so concerned with what happens going forward. Right. And, uh, there's something really cool about that. So that's cool. I'm glad that you went through that. That's yeah. really awesome. Yeah, I had another moment like that to the, this week. Um, because So the beauty of being in recovery, if I believe you're putting like your, your effort into becoming yeah. different, is you're going to go ahead and you're going to find new friends. You're going to find mm-hmm. mentors in the space that already have what you have. You're going to do what they you they do so that you can have what they have. Right. And you're going to reach out to people that are like way above you, like yeah. leaders in the space, whether yeah. they're therapists, whether they're theologists, whether they're spiritual coaches, sober coaches, pastors, right? Yeah. That's what I've done this time around, which has changed the name of the game mm-hmm. as to why my head's in a different space, right? Yeah. But the point is, is that at, in class, uh, I was in accounting 101 or whatever, right? And we're going through financial statements and the teacher went too fast on the slide and I was like, hey, hey, can you slow down? I just wanna see where I fucked up. Mm-hmm. It just came out like that, right? Yeah. My life is in the recovery life. I'm not thinking about my, you know, my- Language? My language, which I, I should, <laughs> sorry, mother. <laughs> but, uh, but anyways, I'm like, can you go back? Um, and he goes, you don't, have to, you don't have to use foul language in my classroom. Mm-hmm. I already know that you're cool. Ooh. And that, for some reason, it sat so, it made me so angry. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to get up and slap that man. You sure, know what I mean? Sure. Like, but I don't understand why that made yeah. me so angry. You yeah. know? I think it's because it attacked my ego. I don't know what it was. Yeah. But anyways, that sat with me till the next, because that class was on Tuesday. I talked, I had to talk to someone about it. Like, yeah. why did that make me so angry? And, he, and then the, my mentor said, I want you to walk up to him next time before class and I want you to say, hey, do you remember when you said that? What did you mean by that? Mm-hmm. Right? And, I, and then so think about this. Just a simple statement from that teacher had me thinking for two straight days. Yeah. Now I'm like nervous thinking about it before the night, before class. I'm like, oh man, I got to walk up to this yeah. man and ask him because he told me what to do. And I'm going to do it. Yeah. Right? When somebody tells you in recovery, you raise your hand and speak right now. You raise your hand and speak in that group. You yeah. don't wait because that is what we were doing in the past. Yeah, yeah. We said we were going to do all these things and we never do them. Yeah. So I go in that class and I set, I walk up to him and I say it and he goes, well, you know, I, it just means that, you know, like I know you're cool and I just, I don't think you need to use foul language and it's a really lightweight that I like to say to people don't use foul language. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. You know, I just wanted to apologize. I wasn't trying to be disrespectful. Yeah. He's like, no problem. I didn't think anything of it. Yeah. And then it was done. Yes. That was out of my head. Yeah, right, but right. But something that would have lasted fucking the whole semester, I would have been wanting to like throw my book at that man. Yeah, you know yeah, what right. I mean? Or create full-blown resentment towards that man. A yes. Disrespect by that point. That's right. And say like, I don't respect you anymore just based off of one interaction. Exactly. And all of a sudden we like discredit people for the value that they have just because of one specific thing, misunderstanding half the time. Right. 
sometimes a mistake. I know. It's incredible. And yeah. now I just feel like anytime somebody tells me to do something, I'm just going to do it if I trust their, their if yeah. I seek their counsel and I trust it, then I'm going to do it. Yeah. I think that's great. Um, so this month is recovery month, right? Recovery month. Recovery month. And uh, to be honest, it's the first time I've ever heard about something called recovery month. I don't know how long this has been established for, but it's recovery month's not the first one. I, yeah. was, not, uh, I was not privy to a lot of months. You know, Black History Month, I didn't know. Uh, Pride Month, I didn't know. You know, like there's a lot of months I'm not familiar with. So when this finally comes up, I'm like, oh, okay. I'm like, sounds great. Yeah, <laughs> Let's yeah. do it. Virgo <laughs> month, <yeah>. too. <laughs> So for me, I'm just like, oh, cool. I didn't know, I didn't know it was recovery month. Cool. So what do we do at this point? And what I've come to understand over time is that any kind of um, um, something devoted to a month, it usually is like an opportunity for people to become more aware of mm. something that's inside of that realm. Yeah. And that realm is usually uh, people that it is that we may not understand, you know? And uh, recovery month, I think, is solid. And when it comes down to people like ourselves that are inside the world of recovery, it's just like, oh, this is like... This is our bag, you know, like yes. this is the thing that we love, but what are we going to do with that time is probably important. So um, more than anything, um, at least in, um, in honor of recovery month, I'd like to talk about um, awareness because that's what, it's, do it. that's what it usually is about, right? It's been never that you have like, all right, whole entire month's devoted to the thing. We want to make the rest of the world more aware. Yeah. What I will say is uh, I'm the normie that comes into the conversation. I've been in the world of recovery for six years now. And um, my father was an alcoholic and he, he picked up his habit again when I was about maybe 12 or 13. And uh, by that point, um, he got pretty heavy into his alcoholism. And uh, But around that time, as most kids do uh, when you hit your teen years you kind of disconnect from your family anyway you know right. you're like i'm just doing my own thing and so i didn't really take it too seriously but i did understand that he was causing pain to my mother and um and i was noticing how it was causing some issues in the family but again it wasn't that heavy just because i was out all the time as a teenager and so it did bother me but it didn't really create heavy resentments at least i didn't think that it did and so time had gone by and i remember getting upset with him a lot of times by not caring about himself or the family and stuff his the health was deteriorating and stuff and um but i remember like my responses to him or my thoughts towards him was very much like dude why don't you just stop that was very much like as a normie somebody who's not engaging in any kind of um uh, addiction or um, or doing any drugs specifically um it was it was it didn't make any sense to me in fact it was just like a dude come on just knock it off like Ooh. don't you understand that it's like creating some sort of issue for everybody else just mm -hmm. stop it yeah and me not understanding because eventually what ends up happening is he ends up dying when he, when I was 21 and uh, and he died in his alcoholism and um, it was uh, he went to sleep uh, it was a Super Bowl um, 2000, 2001 and uh, he was at a he had relapsed again and he was you know just not really caring for the most part and he went over to um, a family uh, get together and they were drinking and having a good time for uh, Super Bowl and uh, he didn't wake up the next morning and uh, I got the phone call uh, from my mom. Uh, he's gone. And by that point, I've already made peace with the fact that he's probably going to die in his addiction. And just, I think that's my easiest way for me to just make sense of things is that logistically thinking is like, yeah, he's probably just going to die because it doesn't seem like he's changing. It'd be a miracle for him to change. And so and that's exactly what happened. He died, and I didn't really kind of think twice about it. I was like, yeah, that makes sense. Well, since 21, uh, 
throughout the rest of my 20s, I didn't really have reason to think about addiction very much. There's no, I didn't really surround myself with people that were addicts. I, a lot of my friends were, you know, they would use here and there or drink here and there, but none of them were really heavy addicts for the most part. And in Mexican culture, uh, drinking happens to be just relatively just understood as the norm. Yeah. Even I would say that the majority of the people in my culture are drunks, but they're not going to admit that just because it's a part of the culture and everything of the sort. So they just see it as like, what are you talking about? We're not drunks. Like we just, you know, drink all the time at all parties, all the, every weekend party, you know? And and uh, so it was a few friends that are like that as well, but it never really was a huge issue in general. I don't think I've ever met anybody, knew that I met anybody that did any hard drugs like that. Like yeah. the idea of somebody doing meth or heroin or anything of the sort. I'm like, yeah, no, I don't. That's, that's, not, that's not a world that I'm involved with. Well, obviously, fast forward time and I met Chief and uh, that whole entire thing changed. Yeah. It came from a world of me just kind of avoiding uh, anybody who'd be drug addicts or anybody in that world uh, of addiction because um, I didn't find any... Um, yeah, interest in it and also I didn't I found it to usually be pretty drama and I was like I don't really like drama like it causes more stress than it needs to for me so I'd rather just stay away from it entirely and I learned that from my dad dad you're drama you cause drama so I'm just gonna stay away from it as best I can but I think what ends up happening is that it creates this um, ignorance as to what addiction is like and especially what addiction is like for people in recovery mm-hmm. and so if fast forward time and I've been able to hang around with chief for a while six years now and uh, being in a relationship with somebody that was an addiction, it's taught me a lot about um, how ignorant I was to addiction and to recovery and how it's not as easy as, why don't you just stop? And it's not as simple um, as somebody making a decision to change something and then it changes. And then I begin to, to, as I understood that, I began to understand myself. I don't think there's any decisions that I made like that either. All change is difficult. Mm -hmm. And so um, in recovery month, I think it's important that more people that are outside of addiction understand what people in recovery are having to go through and being able to have a lot more grace and mercy towards that, but also understand the hard work that has to um, that's being paid towards it. So um, somebody who's in recovery yourself, um, how was it for you, like dealing with your parents and stuff and the world around you, and um, how do people talking to you from the outside looking in, not understanding recovery, even up until now? Like, has that been difficult? Has it been weird to navigate? What does that look like for you? Wow, that's a great question. Yeah. And, you know, as I've come to realize in recovery, or let's just say in addiction, mm-hmm. right? Because oppos- uh, addiction is the opposite of connection, Yeah. right? So in addiction, what happens is your spirit is completely broken. Okay, your spirit is broken because we decide to isolate. Yeah. That's what happens. And I've and I what I've learned about in this process and this process of recovery is that in the past I was always living a double life. I've said this in the past, right? Where I was doing whatever I was doing behind closed doors, mm-hmm. hidden, and then I was acting like I was okay with my family or acting like I was okay with my friends. Right. And then I went into a phase where now I'm in recovery and I was doing recovery and I was hiding it from my parents. I wasn't mm-hmm. including my parents. So the lack of education for our parents and our families mm-hmm. or ourselves in, in what it takes to recover is very important for people to like start to kind of research as to how you can right. be a better. So let me just give you an example. I came into recovery. My spirit was broken. I came to find out that where to our gathered crisis in the midst, mm-hmm. I started talking to people. I started to realize that in recovery, you're able to share these stories that anybody else would cringe about. Sure. Right? Yeah. Right? And that's very helpful. And when you're like, when we laugh about something that to someone else would be scary and we're just laughing about what I did in my past. That's that's the beauty of recovery. Yeah. However, 
I do not wish to shut the door on my past or close or clo- you know forget the past or shut the door on it. I like to talk about it. In my past, my parents would say, "Stop! You got to just stop. Get your life in order." And I swear to you, every single night, I would say. Tomorrow I want to get my life in order. Mm. Tomorrow I know that I need to go do this. I need to go apply for school, buy my LLC, start a business online, start a podcast, go to, you know what I'm saying? I would say that every night and I'd wake up and go right back to the addiction. Mm. And that's one because I didn't have friends. I only had acquaintances that were involved with addiction and drinking. I didn't have no friends because I didn't want to be a friend to anyone. Mm -hmm. It's too much of a responsibility, too much of a compromise. And I don't want compromise. Anything that gets in the way of me doing what I want to do is out of the picture. And that's how it was. And I had to learn that that's different. Now, when I came into recovery, I started to learn uh, one, that I was uneducated on how to cope properly, mm-hmm. right? Whether that be spiritual modalities, breathing techniques, um, mentality, right? Mm-hmm. And then two, that my family was very uneducated on how I was about, like how, what I thought about, right? Yeah. So just to give you a background, my mother's side of the family is the one that deals with the alcoholism. Yeah. My father does, my father's doesn't. Yeah. So I know where I got it from, mm-hmm. right? However, my father is always like, you got to just fix yourself. You just got to just focus. Why aren't you? Why do you think like that? You're not normal. Since you were 16, you used to say, I remember back when I was 16, I would say, why are we even going to drink if we're not going to get messed up? Yeah. There's no point because I'm putting carbs in my system. So why would, if I'm going to put carbs in my system, let me put all the carbs in my system. Right. And if I'm not, I'm not. It's that all in or out attitude. Right, right, right. Right. And he never understood that. If you see, if somebody was to leave a, a, a finger of alcohol on the table, and not finish it at a party, that's alcohol abuse to me. Mm. That's what I consider alcohol abuse. I don't consider drinking at all. Sure, sure. Abuse, yeah, right? Right, right? I'm like, you're abusing that alcohol. Yeah. How can you leave it on that yeah, table, right? right? Yeah. That's just, I don't know how to explain that. That's an addict's mindset. It's like, it's like when, uh, it's like when a, uh, a mom uh, uh, says, you're going to finish all the food that's on your table because you're wasting. Mm-hmm. You're wasting that food. To yes. you, it's like the same thing. Don't you, 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 you yeah. drink all that? Do you yes. have any idea? There's yes. some people out there that would love to be drinking that right now. Yes. <laughs> No, and, and, and let me just say this. The moment I had a like a spiritual enlightenment, the moment that my recovery life became better is the time that I invited my parents to the family therapy session mm-hmm. at the treatment center that I was at. Yeah. So that was so crazy because I didn't want to invite them in, okay, because I was scared. Mm-hmm. But my therapist or my case manager was like, no, no, no. No questions asked, you're doing it. Mm-hmm. And I'm just so happy that I was open to it. I was at such a negative place in life that I'm like, whatever it takes, man, let's just work on this. And when people say hard work and recovery, I hate that because it's yeah. not hard work. It's not you picking up an ax and a, and a hammer and going to work. It's just literally listening to the people around you. Sure. Okay, if they say you got try to read the book, read the book. Is that hard work? Are you sweating? No. If you have to pray or try to meditate or this one, you're in recovery for 30 to six, I was in there for 90 days. It would be a disservice to myself if I didn't go into the therapist's office and literally tell them everything. Mm-hmm. That's something I didn't do in the past. I was yeah. like, I'm gonna die with the secrets that I have. I'm, gonna, I'm never gonna tell anyone. I'll be buried with these. Yeah. It was the moment that I brought them to light that I was able to work on them. Yeah. But it was also when I brought my parents to light, meaning bringing them to the therapy session, that we were able to work together as yeah. a family, yeah. right? First, I'll never forget, my mom and dad walked into a room full of addicts, yeah. and all their moms and dads walked in, and I swear, they're like this, they're like, like, hey, hey, which one of those is the addict in that family? 
are like, hey, which, which one of those? Are? I'm like, what are you, why is this even a concern? Why is this a concern? I don't even ever question that. And then, and then somebody was like, um, cause I dealt with stimulants. So, you know, cocaine, yeah, yeah. Uh, weed, alcohol, pretty much was those three. Mm-hmm. Um, what other people were like, oh, I did heroin or I did fentanyl. And like, oh, that person did fentanyl. And they're like that. They're like, they're just not. And I've been spending 90 days with these people. To me, that isn't even a thing. Yeah. I know that person for who that person is. Mm-hmm. Right. So anyways, after they got over that, okay, they went through a six hour session with the therapist that taught them about what an addict's life is like, what mm-hmm. their mentality is like, what they go through, what they, what they deal with. Mm-hmm. When they came out of that, I don't know what they, those people said to my parents, yeah. but they were so much more understanding. Yeah. It was incredible. Yeah. And then the next day we had to write a paper. Mine was seven pages long. Oof. Okay. And we had to sit knee to knee like this with no table in the middle in front of everyone else in that room, 40 other people, and read these letters to each other. I promise I've never cried for like six hours straight. I cried for six hours. Every time somebody was speaking, them or their parents, I was crying the entire time. Like I was so tired after that. And what it is, is it's breaking down the machismo or the barriers of your family and also breaking down your fear to be able to communicate with your family. That simple fact right there is life-changing for a family dealing with someone in recovery. Whether you're the mother dealing with the addiction in the family, the father or Mm -hmm. the child, it's very important that you, I don't like saying you statements. It's very important that, it was very important that I was open to receiving the counsel that was given to me. So I'm glad and thankful to God that I was able to say I'm willing, open-minded, and honest, and I'm gonna take this opportunity to do this session with my family. And I would recommend that any family member that is going through this to consider it, right? And it doesn't have to be a full-blown session like that where it's very intense and Mm -hmm. very beautiful, really, if you ask Mm -hmm. me. It could be a simple conversation where the child is in therapy or the child is in treatment or the parent is in treatment, Mm -hmm. right? And you ask the therapist or the case manager to mediate a call Mm -hmm. between you guys rather than, because we all know this, our parents are one of our biggest triggers, especially in recovery, because they're the ones that have been trying to take us out of recovery due to love, but we've doing we, because we're in our addiction, take it and build resentments against sure. her, right? So the moment, like I still notice, sometimes my dad will give me some advice and I love him from the bottom of my heart, but I could tell from the past how I could get frustrated. And he's right every time he says it. He's like, you need to do this, this, and this, and this. And I'm like, damn it, you're right, you know? And But I'm not gonna build a resentment now because I've got education behind me. Yeah. But I just, I think it's so powerful to use the tools around you, be resourceful in recovery, everybody's here to help. Nobody's going to judge you. There is not one thing that you can tell me or anybody else in recovery that I'm going to be like, oh my God, you did that? Because I've heard it all. People have killed people. People have done very nasty, gruesome sexual things. People have done this to themselves, that to another person. There's nothing that I'll be like, no, I'll just be like, okay, so let's let's work on that, right? And that's the beauty of recovery. Yeah, it's true. And if people could take that, normies, outside of this room, right, can take that into their approach with their families and the people around them, Mm -hmm. there'd be less judgment, which would cause more love to be spread and more relationships being built, which is the opposite of addiction, relationships and connections. Yeah, absolutely. You're very right. In so many different ways, uh, what you're explaining is how you have become more educated about what your addiction did to you and you had to it's the only way that you can be able to learn to get uh um to get out of it to uh to work on it to be able to get to a place to where you're comfortable uh, moving forward with it right and um that requires education 
Yeah. In the same way, people that are outside of it don't understand what's going on. It's like there's education you have to know as well. Yes. There was ignorance happening on the user and there's ignorance happening on the family or friends of the user as well. Mm-hmm. Not everybody understands addiction. No, you talked about how when you go into the rooms and you start hearing everybody's story, it becomes normal and all of a sudden the <gasps> that factor kind of drops to a point where like, yeah, that sounds about right. Like, yeah, yeah I'm not surprised. Like yeah. that's that sounds about right. There's nobody who walks in, you can be somebody like this happens all the time. You see somebody walking in, it's like a it's a cute little girl comes in and like, oh she looks like like she'll, she would never rob a bank. And sure enough, you find out, oh yeah, I or was like, someone. yeah, or kill someone. Right. In this world, the worst of the worst, right now, right now, right now, the worst of the worst, the story that you can probably get some <gasps> from is somebody who says, I used to sell fentanyl to other drug That's addicts. Right. That's the worst of the worst. But even yeah. then, I've met plenty of fentanyl dr- drug yeah. dealers in my lifetime here. Yeah. And so by that point, it's like you hear it enough, you get to a point to say, okay, what am I going to be shocked about? Right. That people suck at being alive? Yeah, right. that's a that's a given. That's yes. a given across the board. T- people are terrible. All people, not just people in recovery and in addiction. Everybody has mm-hmm. the terrible thing that they're doing dealing with one way or another. And this is the reason as to why families fall apart because some family seeker comes out and the whole entire family. Oh my God, Dad! I never knew that you were going to be out. I right, never right, thought right. that you did that to Mom. And Mom, I didn't know you ever did that to us. And mm-hmm. all these different things that come along with it. That shock factor really what it's doing. It's, it's making people feel as though they're less than. It makes, it's making people feel as right. though you had them on such a high pedestal of expectation mm-hmm. that when they, when they be, were human yeah. and they show their humanity, that all of a sudden it's just like, oh, I'm so disappointed in you. Mm-hmm. And that's what allows people to say, well, if I'm not up here in your head anymore and I'm down here, and I know how difficult, because I've been doing everything I possibly can to be yeah. able to be up here in your mind. And now that I'm down here, now that I found out that I'm down here in your mind, yeah. I don't know what else I can do to be able to make that better. Therefore, there's no reason for me to try. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, you create this really strange dynamic between families especially, mm-hmm. all of it based off of ignorance. It's all based off the fact that this thing, um, substances in general and drugs and things of the sort, all of those things have been built to destroy humanity in general. Yeah. So this is not personal. It's mm-hmm. not like, you know, drugs are looking for your kid specifically. It's just like it happens to be falling on him. Therefore, everybody's going to have to deal with it in the yes. same way that um, uh, somebody has some sort of a disease coming on somebody, find out you have cancer. The whole family has to go through that. Mm-hmm. Now, I know there's a lot of people out there who be like, yeah, but people don't ask for cancer. <laughs> I have a relatively controversial uh, opinion when it comes to that. Um, most of the time, this world in general, it, we understand that all the things that we eat and all the things we drink and all the air that we have and all the, all the things, like all that stuff is just like as a society, we said yes to it. We mm. said yes to the mm-hmm. fact that uh, cancer is not necessarily a really old disease. It's because of all the crap that it is that we've been cranking out for, uh, for a good chunk of time now. Mm-hmm. And uh, because of that, we as a society have said yes to it in the same way that we as a society have said yes to drugs and made it normalize that. We've normalized junk food and all the things we put in our water and all the other things that cause cool. Glorify it. Yeah, it's we glorify it. Yeah, exactly. Everything. So the fact that we've glorified it means that as a society we said yes to it. Mm-hmm. So in the same way that somebody gets cancer and we say we as a family are going to be there for you and try to help you through because we love you, the same thing should be happening inside of addiction and recovery. Yeah. We find out that you have an issue with addiction, we as a family are going to have to go through that. And it's going to be hard. For the whole family it's going to be mm-hmm. hard. Mm-hmm. But is this person worth it is the question. Right. And if you keep thinking to yourself, no, they just have to deal with that. No, it's just they that have to get themselves to the hospital to be able to try to cure their cancer. Mm-hmm. That's really selfish way of looking at things yes. you're gonna say no no we're gonna be there with you be there with your kids as they go through those but that's that's one of the hardest parts is the education behind that well how do i help my child do i just let him sleep on the couch for the rest of his life it's like no that's not how you help mm-hmm. your child get him some professional help you are not educated enough to know what it takes to be able to 
cure or get rid of or work on addiction. Right. Therefore, you should get them professional help. And if they don't want the professional help, that's the hardest thing to do mm-hmm. is to be able to detach and be able to say they need to hit some sort of rock bottom so they can find some sort of cure or some sort of direction or some sort of um, um, growth from that as well. And I think that would be, <clears throat> I think that that is the hardest part about the whole thing. When, when it was my father, the detachment part of it, I did not based off of the fact that I thought he would do well. I did it based off of protecting myself. Mm-hmm. Um, he's going to die. And just being able to come off like that so I don't have to deal with it when it actually happens. I dealt with it earlier on. Yeah, I, he's going to die. And I just completely make uh, be aware of that um, that fact. I don't recommend that for anybody. I recommend, I recommend the um, hope for people to be able to do something that, you know what, let's detach so they can do whatever they want because we don't control anybody. Do what they need to do to hit some sort of rock bottom so they can realize, you know what, I actually do want my life. Actually, I do want the opportunities mm-hmm. to do something. And then you be open-armed when they come back to say, I'm willing to do it and this is how I'm going to do it. Sounds great. As long as we're getting some help, let me know what I can do. I'm not going to force myself to do something for you, but let me know what it is that I can do. I'm here for you as your support. Mm-hmm. And that's what I want to be in it. Unfortunately, most people don't understand it. It gets really frustrating for family members and yeah. friends. They really feel as though they can do something about it. Why don't you just, and these conversations are just like triggering for a lot of people in recovery. Mm-hmm. And um, and yeah, it just seems to be so much harder than... It's, it's very play. hard. Let me yeah. tell you, it was the hardest thing. Nobody could have told me, okay? Because I went in IOP at 19 and I went in IOP at 22. Mm-hmm. In those two times, I never accepted step one, mm-hmm. right? That my life has become... Uh, powerless uh, or I'm powerless over alcohol, yeah. right? Unmanageable and I'm powerless over alcohol. I never accepted it because mm-hmm. I thought, well, maybe I could do something else. Maybe it's the cocaine ruining my life. Sure. It's this ruining it. It's not the drinking. Yeah. Right? So I had to go back out and do my own research, mm-hmm. right? And it's terrible. Nobody could told me nothing. You couldn't have worded any sentence in any form for mm-hmm. me to have accepted the fact that I'm not going to receive treatment right now and I could still work on this. It's sad, yeah. but I am thankful for my family that they kept touching on it. They kept touch. Hey, do you want treatment? Are you ready for treatment? You need treatment. Yeah. No, no, I don't want it. No, no. You need treatment. And then finally, one time I was so low. I was like, yes. I said yes and started crying right after that. I didn't want to go. But my base, I'd look at it as like, okay, let me just give you an example. When I finally yeah. said Yes, to treatment. I had been by choice because if it wasn't for my family, I would have easily been out on the streets, homeless, just absolutely. It, but it was their support that kept me afloat, per se. Yeah. Okay, so I'm thankful there. I'm blessed. I understand the blessings there. But in the end, I was so I was leaving the house and just spending time at places that I should not be at for like days on end, mm-hmm. like apartments. Anybody that wanted to keep partying, I would go keep partying and then just spend the night there mm-hmm. somehow, or finagle my way to to spend the night or stay in the car or stay. And I'm like, I don't like this freaking lifestyle is yeah. so terrible it's shitty I don't want to be sitting in a car drinking and smoking weed all day just talking what are we fucking talking about right yeah. like this is boring this life is boring so I got to that point yeah. um, and then one time I got to the point where I was hanging out with someone else and it got to the point where he's like, yeah, you know, I have multiple like personalities, right? And like, mm. I'm like, oh, it started to become normal in my head. I'm like, oh, really? You have different personalities? I was like, me too. I think I have different personalities, yeah, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And we started talking about that. And when I come home, I came home and I'm just going to say it. Okay. Yeah. I came home. I was, I had done mushrooms. I had smoked weed. I had drank a full bottle of Jack Daniels and I'd done cocaine and mm. I was laying in my shower. Mm. Okay. And I was like, I can't. I was like, I, I have all these thoughts in my head. Instead of just thinking in my head, why don't I say them out loud? Let mm. me speak them out loud, right? Yeah. And I'm sitting in my shower by myself. I didn't know anyone was home. 
and I'm talking to myself. Yeah. Okay. My mom walks into the room, goes, Eli, are you talking to yourself? Yeah. Have you lost your complete mind? Yeah. I'm like, no, I'm just, I just thought maybe I'll talk to myself. You know, I, yeah. I, I want to talk to the different personalities. This is where I was in my head. Like yeah. I want to talk to the different personalities. Mm -hmm. Then I come out of the shower and my dad comes out and I'm still talking to myself like, damn it, now my mom saw me, now I'm gonna be in trouble, now this is gonna be a problem, she's gonna think I'm crazy and my dad walks in yeah. as I'm saying these things. Yeah. It's like, man, you lost your mind. Are you ready to go to treatment? And I was like, yes, like I said, like, yes, please. Like, basically my spirit said, yeah, I, I believe that my spirit said yes. Yeah. And then my body regretted the yeah, decision. Yeah, right, sure. <laughs> it was like, yes. And then he's like, okay, I got the guy on the line right now. I was like, no, 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 no. Yeah, and yeah. I cried from there. They drove me from Rancho Cucamonga all the way to Garden Grove. Yeah. This is how bad it was. Yeah. You know what? I'll just go ahead and say it because I'm, I'm going to get used to start saying these things. It was so bad. I was crying the whole way there, fighting with them. I don't want to go in there. Yeah. I'm drunk as hell too mm -hmm. because I'm, I'm, I'm in the car saying, but I love you guys and I'm, yeah. you know, I want to be better, but I, I don't want to go to treatment. Yeah. They dropped me off. No clothing other than the, what I had on my back. Yeah. I walk in. I was immediately angry because I felt like they had dropped me off yeah, right, somewhere. Right. They mm -hmm. left me. Yeah. That's the first time they turned their back on me. Yeah, yeah. Like, which I needed though. Yeah. Okay, so now I'm angry and I'm angry with everyone in the treatment facility. I'm saying, fuck you and fuck that. Yeah. They're like, we need to do your assessment. I'm like, no, how many questions? 55 questions. Fuck you and fuck your questions. Like, it was really, yeah. really bad. Yeah. Then I'm like, give me, I need a fucking cigarette. So like, pompous and yeah. like, so bad. I was just so bad. Mm -hmm. And then, I'm like, I need a cigarette. The guy's like, well, this is a vape. Um, can you hit it? I'm like, a vape. I can hit a vape. He's like, it's 70. Be careful. 70, Nick, or whatever. Be careful. I hit it. I fall back on my seat. Boom. I get up. I use rest. I like completely messed up my pants. I yeah. went in my pants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Go to the restroom. Have to throw those pants away and the, un I mean, the underwear away. I was in donations pants for three days yeah. until finally I got a new batch of clothing in. And let me tell you, that's how far this addiction takes you. Mm -hmm. That's how far, how, me, I would never do that in my right mind, sure. but that's where I was. Yeah. And sometimes I don't want to put, I don't want to close that door. It's the truth. That's what happened. Mm -hmm. This is, but because of that, I'm sitting here in front of you with yeah. a lot more education, yeah. 170 days later, yeah. a lot more education. I feel stronger as a man. I'm more mature. I have relationships. I'm involved and my mm -hmm. businesses are, are growing. Yeah. And that's all thanks to God and thanks to the work or the investment in time because not hard work, it's just investing in time that I put in in treatment. Yeah, I think it's wonderful because what you're um, tapping into more than anything is the fact that it needed that moment of like being, again, that's what we talk about rock bottom. You need that moment where you hit something that's like, yes. is this where my life is now? Like right. the recognition, I mean, like looking at something and saying, I don't like that. No. I tell people this, this often, if you wanna change anything, you have to hate it first if you truly want to change it, yeah. especially if it's a habit. You have to hate it like that, like, ugh, like you're almost yeah. looking at yourself and being like, ugh, like what have I, like, what have I mm -hmm. done? You know, like yes. what, have, what, am I, what have I turned into? And sure enough, most people that land in recovery, um, the beginning parts of the recovery, it's they've had that moment, yeah. that moment of just like, I'm not really happy about where I'm currently at and I don't like it and mm -hmm. I'll do anything it takes to be able to get out of that. And that doesn't necessarily mean it's easy from that point on. It mm -hmm. just means that you made a decision in the same way that something like a relationship is, right. uh, or saying yes to a job, you say yes to it. It doesn't mean that it's never going to be hard from that point. It just means that you said yes to something you knew was good for you. Mm -hmm. Now the work starts kicking in. Yeah. So saying yes to something has nothing to do with the work that comes in afterwards because yes. anybody can bail out. 
say yes to something and then sticking with it, the work that comes along with it, by the end of it, you get your payout. Yeah. And your payout is always going to be worth it depending on how much work you put in. And when it comes to addiction, the payout is recovery. And I've talked about this before. Recovery, what we're trying to recover in our lives is recovering an opportunity. Mm-hmm. The opportunity to do what? That's up to you. What have you wanted to do in your life? What are the things that you value? What are the things that you care about? Mm-hmm. You can't do it when you're face down on the floor and super high and you can't do it when you're, you know, running muck just trying to find your next high. Yeah. Those are not going to be out. Those are not opportunities. That's not a basis for an opportunity. And so being able to be sober, recovered, right-minded, that's an opportunity to say, now that you're clear from all obligations that yes. you've given yourself, what do you now want to do? Right. And now you have an opportunity to do that, you start building your life, slowly yes. but surely. And how do you do that? How did I do that? Yeah. Okay. First, this is how it goes. You go to a treatment facility, if you're in treatment, yeah. let's just say, mm-hmm. this for people in treatment. Um, you go to a treatment facility, you have meetings to go to, you have classes to arrive to. Okay, so you show up. You mm-hmm. show up and you take notes. And when you're taking notes, you ask questions such as, how will I use this? Mm-hmm. Why must I use this information? Mm-hmm. And how can I provide it to someone else? Yeah. Right, because you're the person in treatment is the most qualified person to provide the information they're getting to the person that's coming into detox. Yeah. There's no medical doctor that has the amount of information, experience, and wisdom mm-hmm. that the addict that was no longer suffering can share to the addict that Very is true. suffering. Yeah. Okay, so you go to your classes. Now, you're gonna probably have a therapist Okay, so when you show up to your therapy uh, uh, meeting, you talk to your therapist. You tell them everything because then they could start to identify what it was that was triggering you, Mm -hmm. why you were trying to cope with alcoholism, and how you could work to not cope with those things. Mm -hmm. That is the work. And then you're probably going to have a spiritual coach, and and you're going to learn on how the mind works and the different stages of recovery. And all these things are going to make you a better person. Now, that doesn't change that you're, for instance... 30 days, it took me 24 days, by the way, 24 mm-hmm. days um, to finally walk into the room. I'll never forget. I walked into my therapist's room and I said, you know what? I'm tired of feeling like this every day. Mm-hmm. Here's what I have shame and guilt. Here's my life. Are you ready? Okay, you ready? Good, because I'm tired of this. Let's, let's get to work. And I just spilt everything. I told him everything. And by the end of it, he's like, that's normal. Mm-hmm. That's actually very normal that you would do that in your addiction because this, this, that, the, 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 mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, fuck. Yeah. That felt good. Yeah. And you know, I was intuitively able to handle situations that used to baffle me, right? Because now I could share that with my spiritual coach and my other mentor and we could work on it. But so that's what treatment was like um, uh, for me, okay? And then also not isolating because when you go to your room and you start to get in your head, um, that's where the devil is in your head and and that's why you gotta find someone else to talk to. But here's the funny thing, about 30 days in, the first time that my parents visited me in treatment, uh, before they got on, they came over. I'm like, yeah, I'm good. You know, I'm ex- I'm good. I'm 30 days in. I'm good. Like, you know, I've learned spiritual modalities. I've learned breath work. Did you know that your brain's just an organ and that you're not your thoughts? And did you know the cognitive behavior therapy triangle? And did you know that? And they're like, uh, yeah, I understand your change, but just 30 days ago, I dropped your ass off, yeah. fucked up yeah. in front of that facility. What do you mean you've changed? Mm-hmm. They don't. They can't grasp how much work has been put in yeah. day after day, eight hours a day for yeah. the last 30 days, which is life-changing. Mm-hmm. I did that for 90 days yeah. and continue to do it because I'm an IOP. But what I'm saying is 
once you do your part, don't expect everyone else to just know what That's you've right. been through. That's right. They just had 30 days of nine day, nine hour days. They only remember the 30 days ago that they dropped you and it feels to them like an hour ago. Yeah. Okay, so that's why it's important to bring them into your recovery, invite them to a therapy session, talk to them, have a therapist talk to them, let them learn. Because I remember them being like, yeah, that's great, but you know, you're, you were fucking up your life. And then also, even to today, you know, there's still things that are triggering in the way that they talk to me because they like to bring up the past of course. a lot. Because, and that's fair, but they mm-hmm. don't have the education that I do, which is not important to bring up the past because mm-hmm. we're working towards the future. But in the past, when I did do treatment, right, mm-hmm. it did, I didn't have this, this maturity or whatever you want to call sure. it. So I did, went right back to it. So it made sense that they were talking about the past. Yeah. But now today I'm like, you're talking about the past and that's triggering, but I'm not going to let it affect me. And when I get off this conversation with you guys, I may call my therapist or someone to let them know that it triggered me. Mm-hmm. But so there's still work to be done and there's going to be continual work to be done. Yeah. And then, you know, just to bring that up, pop topic up, if you don't mind. So like my roommate in sober living. Yeah. My roommate in sober living uh, was struggling, man, struggling. 21 year old kid. And it was like looking at myself just six years ago. Yeah. You know, and it's sad. It's like he'd come in and he doesn't want to be there. That's factual. Right. And then I had I had to talk to him like I'm like, why are you? saying you want to be here when I can see very clearly you don't want to be here, right? Mm -hmm. Because I know, because I was just where you were in your shoes just six years ago, I know exactly what you're doing. You're you're showing up late, you're, 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 you relapsed, right? Whatever the case may be, there's, I'm not downplaying what he went through, it's okay. But why are you acting like you want to be here? Why wouldn't you just go home and go do all these things? Why do you have to be like acting like you want to be? And the truth is, and most people, the truth is that there's no home to go to. Their mm-hmm. parents have absolutely cut them off, like mine. Yeah. They cut them off, there's nowhere to go. So they have to come here to prove to someone that they have to get sober. That's not gonna work. Yeah. And, and sadly, it's not gonna work. Because what's going to happen is you're just waiting to get out to go do it all over again. Mm -hmm. So, you know, he had to go back to treatment again. And everyone was like, man, we're so proud of you because you didn't relapse because he relapsed. And I was like, if you were able to experience the amount of peace that I have, the relationship I have with Christ, the relationship I have with my inner self, the relationship I have with other people, you wouldn't even worry about me relapsing because I've put in the work. I've invested the time to learn how not to let that happen again. The only thing that I could have been is a good mentor to him. But once again, there's no structure of words that I could have said for him not to go do the thing that he wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And the reason was he turned 21, turned 21. And I remember that year I turned 21. I was like, I don't want people to tell me about how this feels. I want to go experience it. Mm-hmm. I said, listen, the, the experience that you're going to go get is one that I've been through and it's not going to be fulfilling. You're going to waste your money and you're going to get in trouble. And I told him, he's like, okay, I'm not going to do it. Of course, what did he do? He went out and did it. Yeah. He had to experience it for himself. So yeah. all I wish for people is that if you have to go do the research yourself, that you survive the research and that you come back into treatment. Yeah. I think that it's um, really important to recognize that people really don't, people don't want to learn things they don't want to learn. Absolutely. Not. Somebody doesn't want to learn something, it's, they're not going to want to all of a sudden want to learn it just because it's being said. It yeah. just usually doesn't happen that way. For example, when you're in school, you remember the, like, the most boring classes you're in, it's because it's just like, I don't want to learn this, right? Mm-hmm. But it, you remember the classes that you did were very engaged with is because you like really liked the yeah. subject, right? I think it's the same thing when it comes down to something like recovery. <clears throat> it's, if you don't want it, 
if you're not interested in recovery, you're in addiction, you're not interested in recovery, but you're forced to be there, like going, like being forced to go to school, you're going to sit there being like, oh, like this is, I don't see the benefit of this. Mm-hmm. I don't see why this is important. I don't want to be here. Right. All the lessons and the things start to pass you by. And the only thing you're thinking about is what it is that you can do after school, what it is that I can do when I get out. And you start thinking about what that freedom looks like. And um, when you think about those types of things, that's a very human thing to go through. And uh, this is the reason as to why I think, at least when we're talking about our, um, what it looks like in recovery month to be able to get people to have awareness for, is that people in addiction are actually not very different from the rest of the world around us. The only, I think I mentioned this to you before, the only reason as to why um, addiction is taken a bit seriously is because it actually is life or death yes. on, on a very immediate scale. Especially cocaine yeah. and fentanyl. Yeah. yeah, and it's on a very immediate scale where it's just like, this could ha- they can literally die like the night that you start. Right. And when you think about those types of things, it's like, yeah, we should take it much, much more seriously. But it's not to say that the learning pattern of that is different than everybody else's learning patterns mm-hmm. for what it is they have to do to change their lives for things that may not kill them now, but may not, but may kill them 30 years from mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. It's still the same learning patterns to come up to somebody and say, you can't have any more sweets because you're diabetic. And it's just like those types of things, they come up and it's like, you know how difficult it is for somebody to say, I have to stay away from this now from this point on. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's. It's not easy and you have to want it. You have to want health. You have to want to be healthy. You have to want to life. You have to want purpose. You have to want these things. You have to be interested in them. Mm-hmm. If you're not, then chances are you're going to keep being sick. You're going to keep going in the directions that have been destroying you. So, um, again, education is important for the person that's inside of addiction going into recovery. Want it. If you don't want it, that's literally the willingness. Yeah. If you don't want it, you're going to keep going in the direction that you're going. Mm-hmm. And uh, it doesn't matter if you can walk up to the 21-year-old 20, and say, trust me, buddy, nothing out there is for yeah. you because it's your voice that's right. versus millions of other voices that tell them, you got to get out there, yeah. man, 21, you yeah. got to hit Vegas and blah, blah, blah. Your Social voice, media yeah. is telling them that. Your voice versus all those voices, your voice is boring. Yeah. Your voice is boring. Yes. It's not cool and there's nothing interesting about it and it's not. It doesn't, it doesn't sound like experience. It doesn't sound like any of those types of things. And and that's why, again, it has nothing to do with how it is we package it. I truly believe this. I believe that people get sober in prisons, on somebody's couch, in a fancy rehab, in a crappy rehab, and on the uh, in the middle of nowhere, over in a ranch somewhere where they're digging holes. Um, you recover anywhere. Yeah. You recover in a hospital bed. You recover anywhere. Mm-hmm. The only thing that makes people recover is willingness. That's yeah. it. Once you say to yourself, yeah. I do want something different. Yeah. I do. From the core of myself, I do. From that point is the start of, all right, let's start working on some things then. Because if you don't have that part and you only have your parents that want it more than you, yes. and you only have friends that want it more than you and your job that wants it more than you, then again, you're in a class learning things you're not interested about. That's right. You are 100% in there mm-hmm. for something or somebody else, and it's not entirely coming from you. It's your own consequence in the same way that somebody who has a PO floating around above them the reason as to why I don't commit crimes and do these certain things is because my PO is floating. So what you're saying is if your PO wasn't there, you would be doing these things, right? And the answer is, very simple answer is yes. Mm-hmm. Same way that a per- person is married. The reason as to why I'm not going around and having cat all the sex with all these different people is because my wife's there. So if your wife wasn't there, you would be floating around all this, all doing all these things. Yes, I would. So then by that point, it's not you that's making a decision. It's the thing that floats above you that's making yeah. a decision. You've given your power away to something or someone else, and you are not in control. Yeah. If you're not in control, 
then by the end of the day, you're going to get to a point where you become rebellious against whatever you think has control over you, yes. and you're going to snap. And when you snap, you're not going to have anybody to blame but yourself by the end of that. Mm. That type of education is important for the addict in recovery and for the people that are not part of recovery themselves, but they have their family or friends that are inside of recovery. Because once you have that, you can actually de- give a decent support as to what it looks like to say, oh, you're not doing this for me. Mm-hmm. You're not doing this for me. You be doing this for you. Mm-hmm. And I understand that very early on, some people need a Kickstarter. I'm saying like, oh, I got to do this for my kid and I got to do this for my parents. I'm sick of putting my family through this, this and that. Yeah. I understand you need a kicker, but eventually it needs to get to a point to where, you know, you got to be doing it for you because by yeah. the end of the day, it is your life yeah. and being able to find some purpose behind it, it's important. Yeah. The, fir- the, the principles of the first step is being honest, open-minded and willing, mm-hmm. right? And that honest part is the, the biggest one. Yeah. You got to be able to say like, yeah, I have a problem. I have an addiction problem. I have an alcoholism problem. I have, um, and, and that's the thing I, I, I've mentioned this before. I don't like how it's, <laughs> it's, uh, the word alcoholism, it yeah. just bugs mm-hmm. me because mm-hmm. really what it is is we have addictive personalities, yeah. but we chose alcohol or a drug as our coping mechanism or our solution. Yeah, right. And that's when it's considered alcoholism. Mm-hmm. But I've always been an addict, um, mm-hmm. you know, but I wish it was called something else because maybe then people would accept it more. Like, yeah. oh yeah, I do have addiction disease or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, then maybe people would be willing. But once again, like you said, if you're a family out there, if you're like really, really struggling with someone that is in addiction, I would recommend, and I'm not a doctor, mm-hmm. right? But I would just recommend considering uh, maybe finding a therapist that could walk you through what the best steps of action to take would be. That way you can start the process instead of you trying to ramble, not ramble, but nag, because that's what it feels like to the addict when someone's telling them to get addiction, or lecture, right? Mm -hmm. We get tired of those lectures, right? Mm -hmm. So there's no lecture that you can say to someone that doesn't want to help themselves uh, that will get them to change. So maybe get some education on how to help change that, the wording that you're using, or the support that you have, and I think maybe that'd be a good, good start. Yeah, and I agree. I think that um, it's important for us to just learn as much as we can about the things that are destroying our world. Yeah. And when we do that, because it's getting big enough to where I would say most people know somebody who's in addiction. So it's big enough for us, for it to be common knowledge by this point, to understand how to be able to handle it and work with it. And um, that's why I'm glad that um, here in Recovery Month, we get an opportunity to be able to make more people aware about not just addiction, but the fact that there's a whole entire world of recovery. Right. It's people that are actually working on it, people actually going forward in it, and then what they need is your support, because they are the ones who said yes. Right. They're the ones who said yes to life. They're the ones who said yes to making progress and going forward and recovering opportunities. So what we would love to do as a support people that are not in recovery is to be able to say, what can I do to support you seeing us that now you said yes, the miracle took place and now you're sober for mm-hmm. 60 days, 30 days, 60 days, 90 days. What can I do to be able to help that? And most of the time people in recovery are just looking for some understanding. Yeah. They're someone looking, to listen to them. Yeah, that's it. And so I'm glad that we were able to talk about this today because um, again, it is recovery month and it's important, I think for as many people as possible to understand that this is not easy when it comes to um, how it involves all of us. All of us. It's easy when it comes down to what's happening, but it's not necessarily easy when it comes down to the actual solution of things because it requires so much of us to be able to come together and try to um, uh, make better what's going on. Yes, sir. I agree, Anthony. And, you know, um, we ask that if you know anybody that maybe is dealing with addiction or a family that's dealing with addiction or if you just want to share the show, right? Mm-hmm. 
you know, like we would appreciate that. Share the show, yeah. share it with people in the recovery space, share it with people that are not in the recovery space. Um, if we can get more voices to be aware or more people to be aware of, yes. of, of addiction, I think it's going to be healthy for everyone involved. So uh, that's my request. And Anthony, it's been a great show today. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's go ahead and close out. And uh, we love you guys and we'll see you next time. Thanks, Eli.